I invite you to open your Bible this morning to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we're back in chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading at verse 22. And we'll read through the end of the chapter as Paul is applying um, what a spirit-filled life looks like in the context of marriage. If you remember in the context uh, Paul's been talking about um, in the first part of the letter, the truth of the gospel, second part of the letter, beginning chapter 4, how that gospel transforms us, and in, in chapter 5, specifically talking, calling us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and, and then immediately moves toward uh, what that will look like in our marriages. Let's begin then at verse 22, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we thank you that you have spoken this word, and that it is, Lord, able to make wise the simple, and give light to the eyes, and rejoice the heart. And we pray, Lord, that um, we would receive this word gladly this morning, and be trained by it, uh, so that, Lord, we would be men of God, fully equipped to every good work. And particularly, Lord, the good work of loving our wife. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I began the, uh, the sermon last time on uh, Ephesians 5.22 and following. <clears throat> was saying it felt a, bit, a little bit like walking through a minefield. Uh, and if that were the case, then I have to say this morning's sermon feels like a little bit like getting taken out to the woodshed. Uh, I don't know for husbands if there's a more sobering, convicting text in all of Scripture than what we have here in Ephesians 5, 25 and following. Um, the, well, after the, the message last time, two weeks ago, um, someone just came to me and, and commented something that I, had kind of been ringing around the back of my mind. This lady just said that the commands to husbands and wives don't seem equally balanced. A wife is commanded to submit to her husband, a very hard thing. Uh, a, a, a husband, on the, on, the, on the other hand, is just called to love your wife. Uh, and what could be so hard about that? <clears throat> well, you might be surprised. <clears throat> Actually, um, you could easily see how someone could be confused or, or think that the, these don't really seem to balance each other out, that uh, we all would admit that submitting is very hard, but, I mean, the reason we get married is because we fall in love. Falling in love and being in love does not seem to be that difficult. Uh, it seems to be quite easy. Well, the, uh, the first clue that this is not uh, as easy as it might appear to be is uh, 
that Paul points us immediately to the example of Jesus Christ uh, when he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so Paul holds up the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus suffered the wrath of God, bearing the sins of uh, men and women and, and was crucified there to death. And Paul points to that and says, husbands, love your wife like that. The word easy probably isn't the best or most appropriate word to use in that context. Uh, G.K. Chesterton famously said that uh, marriage is a fight to the, the death of uh, which no man of honor should refuse. And um, what, he, what he didn't mention is that the death men will be ours. Uh, that marriage really is an uh, embracing of self, death to self. Uh, when people say marriage is a death sentence, um, uh, they usually say it in the most horrible, uh, awful, um, derogatory way. But the fact is that Paul really does mean us, uh, brothers, to understand that marriage is an embracing of self-death. Uh, death to self-centeredness, death, death to self-service, um, death that um, will actually, though, not be the end of ourselves, but the beginning of ourselves. That, you know, Jesus talks about unless a seed falls to the ground it cannot, and dies, it can't bear fruit. And the same is true um, in marriage. Unless uh, we fall to the ground and die, we can't bear fruit. But when we do and as we do, we do bear fruit. A fruits of love and life and joy and peace, um, a life that is weighted with significance as we, as we live to the glory of God, the blessing of, of others. I, I want to say this morning as I start that I'm not speaking as someone who has arrived. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you're, feel free to talk to my wife. <clears throat> I've not arrived. I'm not even close to having arrived. It's a very humbling thing to speak on a text that's so personally convicting. And so I don't have any, in, any interest this morning on beating up on um, men. Uh, my goal this morning, brothers, is not to make you or me feel like failures. Uh, that's not Paul's goal either. The goal is to wake us up to what it actually means to be a husband so that we can repent of our failures and grow in grace and on our deathbed be able to say that by the power of God and the patience of our wife, we actually learned how to love someone. And we actually learned how to live a life that had meaning and weight and significance and even glory. We noted in the previous message that Paul is uh, in the process of explaining what a spirit-filled life looks like. It's a life full of gratitude. It's a life full of worship. And when he applies it to marriage, uh, then he says that the evidence of a, uh, a woman, a wife, who is full of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the presence and the power of the Spirit in her life will be glad, freely chosen submission to her husband. And, to, and now he says that the evidence of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the husband will be the embrace of um, this sacrificial, wholehearted love and service for his wife. And so we're going to just go through the text um, and see what the Lord God has to say to us. The command, first of all, is very clear. Uh, husbands, love your wives. Uh, Paul repeats that three times. Verses 25, 28, and 33. Uh, he clearly wants to make a point. This isn't a passing little a thought that uh, comes sort of flitting across his mind. And, and by the way, husbands, uh, remember to love your wife. Uh, Paul, Paul wants to pound this home. 
the word that he has to say to husbands as men who are filled with the Spirit is love your wife. Uh, some commentators have noted that it's interesting that Paul doesn't say husbands lead your wife. Uh, that would seem to be the appropriate counter to wives submit to your husbands. But he doesn't say lead your wife. What he says is love her. The counterbalance to submission is love. Submission and love, you see, are the two pistons in the engine of marriage, right? They're the two, these are the things that make it work. If, if um, Just from my earliest days, remember uh, dad teaching me on a farm, if an engine's not running, there's two things to look for, fuel and spark. Um, do you have fuel? Do you have spark? That's where you start. And, and if your marriage is, is uh, struggling, if your marriage is dead, if there's a lot of strife in your marriage, these are the things, this would be the place to start looking. Gospel submission, gospel love. Um, how are we doing in those areas? The, Paul, the word that Paul uses here uh, in the Greek, you know, there's different, there's eros, uh, it can be de- defined as love and philos, love of a stranger. Uh, this is agape. Uh, it, it, it means um, the, to regard with affection and, and loving concern, uh, to have a genuine affection and loving concern, and the, and the tense tells us it's to be an ongoing, active part of our life. This is what God calls us to, not a momentary expressions, you know, buying flowers, getting a card, taking her out to supper, but an ongoing, perpetual concern, care, affection for our wife. That means, men, that the primary purpose of our marriage is not the meeting of our needs. And I know we know that here. I wonder if we know it here. This is where most men start off on the wrong foot. Marriage, to most men, seems like one of life's greatest accessories. Uh, You find a cute woman who loves you, you get married, and shazam, all your basic needs are met. Right? you got an instant lover, housekeeper, cook, laundry service, and mother and primary caretaker of your children. It is not a bad deal. You go off to work and you, uh, you provide for the needs and um, try to be somewhat helpful around the house, but, but all, you know, you're, you're looking for your wife to provide, even if you're not thinking it here, that's sort of what's happening here, and you're looking for her to provide for your needs, and, and the, the way you know that that's what's happening here is when she fails in some way to meet the standard. The house isn't up to your standard. The meals aren't up to your standards. The, uh, the intimacy isn't up to your standards. And what do you feel? Resentment. It's not what I signed up for. Uh, there was, right, we had a deal. And, 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 and all I'm asking is, have you ever said those awful words out of your mouth? All I'm asking is for me to be the God in your world and you to just serve me, right? All I'm asking is for you just to do that. So that's, if, if, guys, if, you, if, 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 um, if you've had those sorts of thoughts and feelings and, and resentments and responses, well, you just know that's what's functioning here. And, and, and the, the, the key here is that you've completely misunderstood uh, God's purpose for you in marriage. Uh, this text is a sledgehammer to that model of marriage. And I think if, if, if we're um, honest, we just need to realize that, that, that we live in a culture where that's very commonly accepted as uh, the model for marriage. 
And, and let's just take the word of God and, 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 and destroy that. Uh, brothers, God did not give us a wife to facilitate our desires for sex, a clean house, and a hot meal. God blessed you and me with a blood-bought sister in Christ so that we could learn what it means to love someone and so we, that we could learn how to die to ourselves, how to live a Christian life, how to live a life that bears fruit for the glory of God and for the blessing of our spouse and the blessing of children should God grant them. And so the command is very specific, very clean, very clear, husbands love your wife. There's no place to hide from that. On the last day, Jesus will not ask you, how well did you provide for your wife? But he will ask you, how well did you love her? Did you love your wife? And lest there be any confusion to what that means, Paul tells us exactly what it means as he points to the example of our Lord. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Uh, That's a really heavy word, that word as just as, in the same way. Uh, men, imagine walking into a weight room um, and it's your first day and there's some guy there that's been there all of his life and he's bench pressing 500 pounds like there's nothing. And, and then, um, you know, maybe you've hired a, a, a trainer, a coach to help you and the coach uh, says, when that guy gets done, okay, now you, your turn. You go do that. Right? And you know that you don't, there's no way in the world you're going to be able to do that. Well, we might have that sense when Paul points to the cross of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ and says to us, uh, brothers, do that. That's what your love should look like. How did Jesus love his church? Well, it's an amazing thing how Jesus loved his church. Um, Jesus loved his church from all eternity, didn't he? He loved his church as... as um, he set his love upon <clears throat> his elect, <clears throat> and he didn't, he didn't choose uh, us because we were so lovely. We were not lovely. The Bible says that we were born and dead in sin, and yet from the splendor and the glory of heaven, Jesus looked out over uh, the, the history of the world and, and all those who he would create in his image, and Jesus chose certain men and women and boys and girls to be his church, his bride, though she was full of sin though she was deserving of condemnation. And having set his love upon her, Jesus then set aside all the privileges of glory, of of his divine nature and the glories of heaven, and he came to earth and he took the form of a servant, humbling himself even to death on a cross. Because he loved his bride. Even though she did not care for him, she would never have chosen him even though she was not faithful to him. He loved his bride, and loving his bride, he gave his life for her, bearing the wrath that she deserves. It's the most supreme act of love in all the universe and in all eternity. There will never be a greater. And Jesus did this all for us while we were yet sinners because he loved us. And that's the example That's what Paul holds up for husbands. You see, we need to remember, brothers, that that just as our sin as the church was never an obstacle to Jesus' love, but was instead the occasion for the expression of it, so too the sin of our wife. We will love a sinful wife. Our sisters in Christ 
are sinners like we are. And there will be evidences of her sin that are painful, that are maybe despairing, distressing, heartbreaking even. But if we're to love like Jesus Christ, that would just mean that our wife's sin is never an excuse for our failure to love, but is actually the occasion for the expression of our love. If we think of all the ways that we've sinned against Jesus, all the times that Jesus could have said to his father, I am not loving that. Right? I am, I'm, I'm not putting up with that. All the times Jesus could have claimed his divine privilege. But Jesus never did and never does. Jesus so lovingly and patiently bears with us and, and forgives us and leads us by his Holy Spirit to repentance. And brothers, that's how we love. That's how we're called to love. And so when sin enters into our relationships, and sin does, it always does, um, we're called to take the lead in applying the gospel and, and engaging the reality of that sin with the truth of the love of Jesus Christ and then in love applying the gospel so that that wound can be repaired. We're called to take the lead in that. That's spiritual leadership. Kevin DeYoung, I sent out an article this, this week on the pastor's post, and if you haven't read uh, Kevin's article yet, I real highly encourage you to do that. And, and DeYoung in that article says this, being a spiritual leader means taking the initiative to repair the breach when the relationship has been damaged. Have you ever asked yourself, guys, why do I always have to take the first step when there's been a fight? Why do I have to be the first one to say I'm sorry? Why do I have to be the first one to reach out? Have you ever asked yourself that question? And, and the answer is <clears throat> uh, because you're the husband. And that's what God calls us to. DeYoung says, if Christ loves the church, his wayward bride, and continually woos her back from her spiritual adulteries, how much more should you woo your, back your wife after a disagreement when half the time it'll be your fault anyway? And I think if we're honest, most of us aren't batting 500. So that's a good word. It's very practical. Husbands, love your wife, knowing that she's a sinner, but knowing that you've been called to be uh, an instrument of grace in the home. Uh, you, you've been called to be uh, an example of, uh, and an instrument of the truth of the gospel. But Paul says more, because the love of Jesus Christ is not just a committed love for a, for a, a sinful church, it's a sacrificial love. And Paul really wants to, us to, to hear this, that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. In the Bible, when it talks about the love of God, it talks about the giving love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his son, the sacrificial giving of the love of God. He gave his son. Jesus gave his life. That's what stunned Paul about Jesus and, and the love of Jesus, that I, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It wasn't just an affection for Paul. It was an affection that moved Jesus to the cross for Paul that stunned him and transformed his life. <clears throat> and Paul says that to love our wife then, as Christ loved the church, is to give ourselves up. The word, the word for it is sacrifice. To sacrifice, brothers, our desires, <clears throat> to sacrifice our needs, our time, for her. All right, Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. It means intentionally putting aside the things that we would like to do, want to do, 
in order to intentionally do things for her. I had an experience <clears throat> a few weeks ago where I had a, a day off Monday and I had some things not very, not clearly defined, but in the sort of the vagueness of the day, it, it just looked like a really nice, it, it was going to be a good day. <clears throat> and I was looking forward to it. And, uh, and then my wife said, honey, we really need a wall in front of the house uh, for the flower bed. And the war was on right here. Because that did not match up with what I had uh, in, planned for the day. Not even close. A 3,500 pounds of block that had to get moved. <clears throat> Do you feel sorry for me yet? <clears throat> and... Uh, Man, that's what death looks like. And you know what? I, I, I just had to do that battle and, um, and say, what would Jesus do? Well, that's the wrong question to ask in a moment like that. <clears throat> because what did Jesus do? Jesus gave his life. Gave his life. And it's such a simple request. And I get the benefit from it just as much as she does. And what am I going to do? Ask her to hold the 3,500 know, pounds of block? It's what husbands do. And, and I just have to, I'm just telling you the story because... It was a battle in my heart. It's not what I wanted to do. And there are many times when I'll make the other decision and, um, and, and, and choose, no, I think today I'm just going to serve Dale. <clears throat> I, I don't think I'm the only one in here that fights those, those wars. I think it's just the nature of our self-serving heart that Paul is challenging here. God calls us men to actually, in truth, sacrifice our desires, sacrifice our time, uh, our plans, in order to serve our wife. Kevin DeYoung says this can mean little things, coming home early, taking care of the kids, participating joyfully in something she likes to do, overlooking an offense, running errands, fixing something around the house, a cleaning up the house. I grew up on the farm. Boys don't clean houses. <clears throat> Boys clean barns. And I had learned that, uh, well, if you don't have a barn, then boys clean houses. <laughs> it was very interesting. I don't know if I shared this before. Um, the, the kids on my, like, like two years ago, uh, they utterly forgot about Father's Day and my birthday, I think. And so they tried to make it up by uh, saying nice things about me. And the, um, so we, had, um, we went out together as a family. And I'm not throwing the kids under the bus. I think they would all <laughs> acknowledge this. Um, <laughs> But, I, I, but one thing that really struck me is um, one of them just said, um, it's been great to see, that, see you change. When we were kids, you never washed dishes, and now you do. That was kind of a humbling statement. Um, but I'm thankful that by the grace of God, <clears throat> I learned how to wash dishes. I'm also thankful for dishwasher. <clears throat> Young continues, loving your wife can also entail bigger sacrifices. You may need to forfeit climbing the corporate ladder in order to be a decent husband. You may be called upon to give up your hopes and dreams in order to take care of your wife after she falls ill or is injured. You may sacrifice the big house or the best neighborhood and live at a lower lifestyle so, you can, so your wife can stay home with the kids. Uh, when we say, I do, that's what we're saying, I do, too. A life where we sacrifice. And we do it joyfully because that's how Jesus did it. Jesus never grumbled or complained on the way to the cross, ever. He counted it all joy. Why? Because he loved his father and he, he knew he was glorifying his father and he loved his bride. 
and he knew that he was rescuing his bride. Like one of the greatest examples that I know of that is a story, I'm, maybe you've heard it before, Dr. Robertson McKilkin, he was the president of Columbia Bible College, and uh, in 1990, he resigned from that post because his wife, Muriel, had come down with Alzheimer's, and, and he um, wanted to take care of her. And this is the letter that he read at chapel as he explained his resignation. It's clear to me that Muriel needs me now full time. My decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. So as a man of my word, integrity has something to do with it. But so does fairness. She has cared for me faithfully and sacrificially all these years. If I carried, cared for her for the next 40 years, I would not be out of her debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic. But there is more. I love Muriel. She is a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of wit that I used to relish so, her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continual distress, distressing frustration. I don't have to care for her. I get to. It is a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. That's what it looks like. Joyful, glad, freely embraced, sacrificial love for our wife. And brothers, if we're honest, we just want to have to acknowledge that we're just not naturally wired that way. At least most of us aren't. Uh, but beyond that, even if you are naturally wired that way, um, the fact is that this kind of love is, is utterly impossible uh, on our, in our own strength. Uh, without the Holy Spirit opening our eyes, uh, we're not even going to be able to see our sin. We're not, we won't even see our self-love in our self-service. It'll feel perfectly natural and normal and right. And so we need the Holy Spirit to wake us up, to open our eyes, to see what this, this sort of love looks like. And then we have to have our eyes fixed on the cross of Jesus Christ because we will not be able to possibly overcome the power of our self-centered nature and our selfish desires. You simply won't have the power to do this except the power that comes from knowing Jesus, seeing Jesus, trusting Jesus, and having the Spirit um, working this power in your life. This is not something you can do in any other way. And that's why the most essential, non-negotiable um, thing that you must do for your marriage and for your obedience as a husband before God is you have to be with Jesus. You have to be in the word of Jesus. You've, you've got to be listening to, to sermons and reading uh, and, and, and coming to church and, and uh, talking with brothers and in prayer and, and having your Bible open. As you, as you walk through the week. There's no other way to do this, guys. This alone is able to train us for godliness. Uh, this is the only thing that, you'll, that will be able to break through your pride and to, and to help you to, to understand in a better way the love that Jesus Christ has for you so that you are freed and empowered to actually love your wife. Every marriage here will benefit as husbands and wives uh, dwell in the Word of God, and, uh, and they let that Word dwell in them richly, as Paul says. It, there's no other possible way to do this. Well, Paul goes on and tells us the goal um, that we should be pursuing. Uh, if you were to ask husbands, what, what are you pursuing? What's the goal that you're pursuing in, in your marriage? Uh, I think we would say we're pursuing our happiness, or maybe we would say I'm pursuing my wife's happiness, and that's, that's a very good thing, to seek her happiness. 
But Paul wants us to understand there's a specific way to seek that happiness, and that is to seek her holiness. Jesus doesn't seek our happiness as the ultimate end. He seeks our holiness as the ultimate end, knowing that nothing will make us more happy. And Jesus, as Paul explains, does that for the church, that he gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her. His passion for his bride was to see her be what God had created her to be, to see her beautiful in the splendor of righteousness. Verse 27, Paul says that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That's Jesus' passion for his bride. His ultimate goal in the life of his bride is to make her beautiful in holiness. Uh, Gary Thomas has written an excellent little book on this called Sacred Marriage. And he asked the question, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Uh, We so often struggle and are confused and bewildered because we thought marriage was supposed to make us happy and it's not making us us happy at all. And, And so it's failing. It's failing its purpose. And and this is why more and more people just bail on marriage. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. It's, I am not happy. Marriage was supposed to make me happy. And I don't see any any growth in in, in accomplishing that end, that goal. I'm out. Well, what if that wasn't the primary goal? What if the primary goal was your holiness? And what if the heartaches and the hardships were were exactly the thing that God was going to use to make you holy? Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that there aren't grounds for divorce. There are. And, uh, and God freely grants that to, to those uh, who've experienced those things. It does just mean that there's something more going on here than what the world tells us is going on. We have to be, uh, just be honest, and our theology of marriage has been formed by, you know, Disney and Hallmark. Uh, that's what we think it's supposed to look like. That's what we think it's for. Well, we got to let the Word of God create our theology of marriage. A marriage is an institution that uh, God has intended not only to produce offspring and, and to give companionship to a husband and a wife, but God gives specifically his children, his sons and daughters, so that they might be allies in grace and grow together in holiness. And husbands then are called to have that goal in mind as, as we love our wife, that our desire is to see her flourish in holiness. That doesn't mean we become sort of the spirit, spiritual religious cops. Um, did you do your devotions this morning? How's your prayer life? Uh, we're, we're not, we're not, the, we're not uh, tyrants in that sense. Uh, we lead by example. We lead by inviting our wife into, uh, as we're walking with the Lord, uh, we, we, uh, we pray with our wife. We make sure that, uh, that we're leading our family in worship, whether public worship or in private worship. And, and, and again, these things might feel daunting to some of us, but this is, this is the calling. Jesus loves his church by washing her with the water of the word. Uh, men, it's our job to make sure that the word is, is active in our families, that the word is being spoken and read, the word is being applied, the word's being appealed to, that the word is actually functioning as the weapon of the Holy Spirit, as the instrument of God to train and mold and purify our homes. That's our job as the husband. We're to be the lead worshipers. We're to be the ones that say, let's, let's get to church. Let's join a small group Bible study. Let's open the Bible uh, around the dinner table. 
Let's pray. That's our calling. And then Paul adds this staggering point to drive it all home. The, the, the reason, why, why, why do we do this? Well, I love what he says in verse 28 and following. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Jesus does the church because we are members of his body. Why does Jesus love the church the way he does? And the answer is because we are his body. That, that Jesus has, has united us to himself in this, in this mysterious, wonderful way so that Jesus doesn't think about himself apart from the bride. He's distinct from the bride. Jesus is not the church, and the church is not Jesus. And yet Jesus has tied, he's bound his happiness and his glory to the eternal welfare and well-being of his bride. So as he goes to the cross, he says, Father, this is my desire, John 17, that they might be with me where I am and see my glory. That was his passion. That's why he went to the cross. To bring his beloved bride to himself and, and to have her uh, with him receive all the glory and the beauty and the honor of heaven. And so men, in the same way, for the same reasons, husbands are to love their wives. Because you see, a marriage is not primarily a partnership. Marriage is a union. It's not just two people deciding to live together and to do life together. It is two people that come together through... Uh, through vows and sexual intimacy, and they become one flesh so that the two now have become one. And so for a man to love his wife as his body, it's not a metaphor in, 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 the, in the strictest sense. It's a reality. There, a union has happened. And so men, we cannot think of ourselves ultimately distinct. Well, we're distinct from our wife, but we've bound our life to her. We've bound our happiness to her happiness. Uh, what life looks like moving forward is a life of walking with her and serving her and loving her and delighting in her and having a vision for how God could use this new union for His glory and for our good. So husbands, love your wife according to what she is. Your body. She's one with you. Bone of your bone. Flesh of your flesh. And her unhappiness then becomes your unhappiness and her burdens become your burdens and her joys become your joys. There is a deep intimacy that Paul is calling us to here. And it's an in intimacy that it's not, a, it's not a Hollywood romance intimacy. It's vastly deeper and richer than that. It's an intimacy rooted in the realities of the gospel. The realities that, that my wife and I are both sinners who need Jesus. And that God in his infinite wisdom has brought us together, not just because we're handy. It's nice to, right, if I'm going to be a preacher, it's nice to have a piano player. I remember um, one of my, my teachers in high school uh, kind of tried to set us up that way. Uh, it worked, but uh, th that's, not, that's not the point. There's, 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 there's vastly more going on in a marriage. Uh, that God in his infinite wisdom has given you to this woman, and this woman to you. And that together through the gospel, you can actually learn to live in love in a, in a deep, profound way. Uh, 
this is, a, this is a time, brothers, for confession and repentance. It's a time to acknowledge all the ways that we fail. The times that we've not loved our wife as Jesus loved the church, where our love has been very self-centered, self-serving, where our um, engagement in her life has not led her to holiness, but has led her to sin. And we need to re- confess those things to our wife and to the Lord and to repent. And to do so, brothers, remembering that there is a gospel for struggling husbands. There's a gospel for, for us when we fail. And that's why this isn't just a, a message of doom and despair. It's not. God, God is doing the work, brothers, in our life, in our, in our marriages. As we look to Christ, as we look to the charge of the command that we have, and as we, as we stand in the grace that's ours in the gospel, God will transform your life. I'm not the same man I was, thank God, uh, as, as when I said I do. And brothers, neither are you. Wives, this is the time to ask for, for, to grant forgiveness. Uh, your husband is not what you had hoped he would be, possibly. Maybe, maybe for some of you saying, it's not true. My husband is more than I could have dreamed or imagined. And praise God for, for that. But, but um, there might just be a, a struggle with bitterness or resentment or despair. Or you've just given up. And, and wives, the gospel, you see, there's a gospel for struggling and hurting wives, too. A gospel that enables you to realize that your, your husband is just a sinful man. He just like you, and that, um, that he can't do these things in his own strength, but by the power of God, he can grow, and he, can, and, and, and he needs your forgiveness, he needs your grace, your encouragement to help him lay hold of what God has called him to lay hold of here. It's a time for us to grow as a church. Uh, we pray for struggling marriages, and that's okay. We, we, every marriage has its difficulties, and some marriages, um, by the by the providence of God, have unique and, um, and very heartbreaking, painful circumstances. And that's, that's, I don't know why God does it that way, but he does. But that's where we together call each other to this, to submission and to love. In, in, in all the richness of those terms according to Scripture, not some shallow, cheap, cultural understanding of it but all the riches of what it actually is according to the word of God and we encourage each other there's a gospel for people like us and there's a strength there's a holy spirit who gives strength for people like us and that we don't have to stay stuck here we can repent we can confess we can forgive we can grow and out of that growth see God glorified see our children edified See, the church stand out in a lost, confused, broken, broken world as a place where the gospel is actually teaching wives to submit to husbands and husbands to love their wives in a way the world has never known, never imagined. That's God's call for Harvest Church. That's God's call for our marriages. May God grant it as we look to him. Amen. Father in heaven, you know our homes and you know our marriages and father i thank you for all the good things that are there i thank you lord for all the evidences of of grace and joy and peace and yet lord i also um confess lord that there are so many things there that are contrary to your will and so we confess 
our sin as husbands and wives. And yet, thank you so much, Lord, that there is a sufficient gospel and sufficient grace and that we do grow by your power. And I thank you, Lord, for every couple here today that can, stay, that can say that the gospel is enough for them and we all can say it. And for every couple that can say, uh, looking back over the years, how, how gracious God has been and how he's, he's changed us in our marriages and how thankful we are for that. And Father, I pray that you would give us as, as men a deep affection for our wife, that we cherish her and, and nourish her and protect her, that we uh, gladly serve her. And Lord, in that, that our wives could see the love of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that um, through repentance and confession and faith and forgiveness, Lord, that we would find wonderful healing taking place in our homes. And we'll give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As, uh, before we go to the song, if there's a, a, something that you as a couple would just like to study together, read together, I would recommend um, Christopher Ashe's book, Married for God. It's, um, it's one of the best I've seen. It'd uh, be a wonderful thing to read together, discuss together. Uh, Joanne and I have read through Sacred Devotions. Uh, that's what it's called, right, Hunt? Sacred Devotions by, by Gary Thomas. Um, that's been really helpful. Or just, it's just encouraging. Uh, there, are, there are other um, resources that um, you, know, you can ask me about or Greg about. And, but I'd encourage you, if, if you're just stuck, take a, take a step. Uh, find something that you can do specifically to grow in the grace and knowledge uh, in your marriage and to see the Lord bless that. Let's stand together now as we close uh, Christian Home number 719.